Hello and welcome to Didion Hawthorne in the In-Between, or DH&I. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gens, and you're listening to our podcast about the relevance of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Hello, you all. I hope that this episode finds you well and that you were able to get the message announcement that I posted on the website, the blog, and on Twitter about having the flu last week which is why the two December Dickens episodes got pushed into today and Monday, but we've all read quite a large number of pages to get to this point anyway, which is the end of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. So let's jump in. David Copperfield is Charles Dickens's eighth novel published according to Britannica serially between 1849 and 1850, as you can garner from one of several introductions that preface the book, because yes, most editions of the book have two, both written by the author. David Copperfield was Dickens's favorite book, the so-called best novel that he wrote during his lifetime. Something interesting that I found out when researching the history of this book is that it is actually semi-autobiographical, meaning that certain scenes from the book were actually adapted from Dickens' own past. These scenes include his schooling as well as his path to becoming a fiction writer. I decided to read the Kindle version just from the Amazon store for this one because there was a sale and it ended up being a free download, as most Dickens books are. You can actually find PDFs and I'm going to link a PDF of the book down below as well which is, of course, a major perk of older books like this. It's free for download. I would just say as a general guideline to pick up the book yourself if you do want to go about reading it and haven't already, even if it's from the library or on loan from a friend or, again, the free PDF version, because the audiobooks for these tend to be long, like more than 48 hours long, and harder to follow along with them in terms of plot when you do actually go about reading them. Getting into the actual novel, we're going to do an in-depth plot analysis with help from passages throughout the book because with Dickens, I feel like his writing is more motivated by characters than any other aspect, and characters are driven by plot. To start, the book was written entirely in the first person past tense, narrated by a middle-aged David Copperfield himself, and of course also written in the very dense Dickensian style we looked at two weeks ago on our On Reading Dickens episode. In the first chapter, Copperfield outlines the circumstances of his birth, which I found to be really cool because he ends up setting the scene on a spooky Friday night in his dead father's house which, with just his mother, Maid Pagotti, Pagotti's nephew Ham, the doctor, and Aunt Trotwood to witness. And from his literal reception into the world, we get a sense of foreshadowing as readers into how the rest of his life might turn out. His aunt, for example, is upset because he isn't a girl, because she's quite a feminist, and turns away from David in indignation, which sort of follows through later in the book when David Copperfield entreats her for help, because though she does help him tremendously, she constantly refers to his non-existent sister, whom she named after herself Betsy Trotwood. I read from the first page. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. To begin my life with the beginning of my life, I record that I was born, as I have been informed and believe, on a Friday, at twelve o'clock at night. It was remarked that the clock began to strike, and I began to cry simultaneously. 
In consideration of the day and hour of my birth, it was declared by the nurse and by some sage woman in the neighborhood who had taken a lively interest in me several months before, there was any possibility of our becoming personally acquainted. First, that I was destined to be unlucky in life, and secondly, that I was privileged to see ghosts and spirits, both these gifts inevitably attaching, as they believed, to all unlucky infants of either gender born towards the small hours on a Friday night. Copperfield from that point has a pretty happy childhood and relays early memories of his time alone with Pagotti, who's extremely loyal and generous to him, and his mother, um, who unfortunately is quick up to take another man and remarry. Even early on, though, the reader is quick to pick up on how smart and intuitive David really is as he picks up on things not normal for regular three-year-olds to pick up on. Before we continue along, however, I'd like to take the time to discuss two important and early symbols in the book, which are his father's house and his crocodile book. First, Copperfield's father's house, sort of an Eden for David and his mother because his father is buried on the grounds and it was a place distinguished with some of the only happy times in David's life, at least his childhood. It should also have been really a part of David's inheritance and comes up later in the book as a symbol for his misfortunes and what he comes to lose. The crocodile book is a bit more difficult to understand but appears more frequently in the novel and that's a little storybook that David reads to Pagotti as he is first learning how to read which Pagotti ends up carrying around with her at some points in the book and at others she just keeps it near the head of her bed. Since the book is so tied to the character of Pagani, I'm more apt to think that it's a symbol of comfort and consistency in David's life, something that his mind grabs onto when he's in need of something to ground him. Getting back to the narrative here, David's mother does remarry to a Mr. Murdstone, who's attached to his sister, Miss Jane Murdstone. Here's a description of their move from chapter 4. It was Miss Murdstone who arrived, and a gloomy-looking lady she was dark like her brother, whom she greatly resembled in face and voice, and with very heavy eyebrows, nearly meeting over her large nose, as if, being disabled by the wrongs of her sex from wearing whiskers, she had carried them to that account. She brought with her two uncompromising hard black boxes, with her initials on the lids in hard brass nails. When she paid the coachman, she took her money out of a hard steel purse, and she kept the purse in a very jail of a bag, which hung upon her arm by a heavy chain and shut up like a bite. I had never at that time seen such a metallic lady altogether as Miss Murdstone was. There was an aside before that chapter that I just read, um from that I shouldn't neglect to mention, which is that while David's mother and Mr. Murdstone are getting married, David gets sent to go stay with Pagotti, which is a really fun aside that doesn't happen often in Dickens' books. During his stay, he meets many minor motivating characters who come up time and time again later in the book, such as Mr. Pagotti, Pagotti's brother who works in the lobster trade, Mrs. Gummidge, the wife and a widower of one of Mr. Pagotti's co-workers, Emily, written Emily with an apostrophe in the middle, who is supposedly the love of David David's life and who along with Ham also lives with them and they're both orphans. As David moves back in with his mother and Mr. and Miss Murdstone, Mr. Murdstone is quick to convince David's mother that he is wicked and must be sent off to a school near London called Salem House. He does this by systematically embarrassing David in front of his mother and setting expectations for him that no young child could ever meet. In any case, David then goes off to school where he falls in pretty gracefully with the other wayward boys, including a character called Steerforth, 
whom the boys idealize for his boldness and leadership. His schooling does not last long, however, because David shortly receives notice that his mother and her newborn child have died, sending him into a great despair. I hope it's clear by this point how much Mr. Murdstone hates David Copperfield. When David gets home, Murdstone is quick to send David away again, though this time to a workhouse to mingle as a 10-year-old boy with the poorest of classes, earning for himself a meager wage every week that barely keeps him fed. Here he meets an unfortunate character called Mr. Micawber, a debtor who has a wife and four children and is eventually set to debtor's prison. It is also at this point in the novel when Pagotti gets married to Barkus, who is a carriage driver. More on this later. At this point, Copperfield is so down on his luck that he decides to run away from the factory in hopes of entreating his aunt Trotwood, who he has not met since his birth, to take him in, which she does after a heated meeting with Mr. and Miss Murdstone. Trotwood, by the way, lives with a half-insane memoir writer named Mr. Dick and her apprentice Jane. He remarks in chapter 14, Thus I began my new life in a new name and with everything new about me. Now that the state of doubt was over, I felt, for many days, like one in a dream. I never thought that I had a curious couple of guardians in my aunt and Mr. Dick. I never thought of anything about myself distinctly. The two things clearest in my mind were that a remoteness had come upon the old blunderstone life, which seemed to lie in the haze of an immeasurable distance, and that a curtain had forever fallen on my life at Murdstone and Grinby's. No one has ever raised that curtain since. I have lifted it for a moment, even in this narrative, with a reluctant hand, and dropped it gladly. The remembrance of that life is fraught with so much pain in me, with so much mental suffering and want of hope, that I had never had the courage to even examine how long I was doomed to lead it. Whether it lasted for a year or more or less, I do not know. I only know that it was and ceased to be, and that I have written, and there I leave it. I could go on like this with the interspaced narrative and description, but to spare you, we're going to breeze through the rest of the book, spoilers included, and then talk about something super important to a large masterwork like this, at least my opinion, which is tone. Continuing on with our plot summary just for a moment, and Britannica, as linked down below, helped me a lot in parsing out the most important bits of this. I will admit that freely. Aunt Trotwood soon sets David up in a school under a schoolmaster called Dr. Strong, who takes David under his wing until he is 17 and transforms him into a promising young scholar. Afterwards, he goes to Yarmouth to visit Pegotti on the way running into his old friend from school, Steerforth, who joins David in finding out on arrival at Yarmouth that his young love, Emily, is engaged to Pegotti. Gotti's nephew, Ham. He visits for a while and then makes the decision to become a lawyer, apprenticing with Spenlow and Jorkins. Here we find out that a continuation of a very complex minor motivating plot sequence has occurred, which is that Uriah Heap, a worker of Mr. Wickfield, the man Ott Trotwood put David up with while he was at school, yes, I know it's complicated, becomes partners with Mr. Wickfield in business. Things progress and he meets Spenlow's daughter, Dora, who he falls in love with, though we know from his schooling years that David is quick to fall in love with whomever he pleases. Here we find out that Pagotti's husband, Marcus, dies, and in the wake of his death, we find out also that Emily has run away with Searforth, though Mr. Pagotti is apt to find her. David then gets engaged to Dora, Go David, but then Aunt Trotwood, aka Miss Betsy Trotwood, shows up and tells him that she's lost all her money in a business venture involving none other than Mr. Wickfield and Uriah Heath. 
This situation leads David to do something that he has alluded to throughout the entire book and something that also seems to ring autobiographically true for Dickens himself, which is that to earn extra income, he starts writing first for newspapers and then for fiction. David then marries Dora, though she quickly has a miscarriage and dies. Steerforth then, true to character, abandons Emily. After that, Mr. Micawber, who's still a player in this book, by the way, just he's still there, finds a way to confront Uriah Heep in regards to the Aunt Trotwood money situation, thankfully winning her money back for her, and afterwards he immigrates to Australia with Emily and Mr. Pregotti to start anew. To skip a bit forward to the end of the book, Ham drowns in a horrendous accident along with Steerforth, and then David takes a three-year break farther east in Europe before he moves back and marries none other than Agnes Wickfield, the daughter of his previous lodger. Hold on now to your literary hats while I talk about the important difference between tone and mood. So tone in fiction, according to the editor's blog, is the attitude of the narrator or viewpoint of the character towards the story or events of other characters, while mood is what the reader feels while reading a scene or a story. But as the blog notes, it's more of an atmosphere feeling rather than a feeling feeling. And while David Copperfield is most known as being this amazing account of psychological development as well as just a beautiful piece of literature with so much to talk about, what I really liked about it was that the tone shifts drastically throughout David's life as he develops throughout the book. For example, when he's a child, it's really obvious that he's speaking, though still from his adult perspective with the child's memory in mind, and even his darkest days when he's still in the Murdstone and Grinby situation, have a wonderful lightness to them and this feeling that everything will turn out and be okay. Whereas when he's 17 and about to finish school, the tone as well as his outlook becomes a bit darker. And then again throughout his life as he finds and loses love and has those triumphs and losses, Dickens does a really excellent job at displaying David's feelings and by extension Dickens' own feelings through the tone of his writing. And that is all from me today, actually. I apologize about my voice again, but nevertheless, we will be back on Monday with a discussion of The Old Curiosity Shop, again, by Charles Dickens. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from me, there's a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our brand new website, relevanceofliterature.com, for links to our entire back catalog of episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter or join our Facebook group. Our handle is at DiddyandIn, two ends total for both of those. And finally, if you want to support the show, help keep it ad-free, and get access to our new private podcast, go to patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature and sign up to become a sponsor. All of the relevant links, as always, are in the description box down below. Still there? One more thing then, remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other Guilty Pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. Auf Wiederhören!